0: Icon. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Monday, April 12th, 2021 is icon. Icon. What does it mean to be an icon? It means that you are famous for life. You never buy another drink for yourself. You can go anywhere you want whenever you want to, even when it says do not enter. You can go in through the outdoor. In Japan, if you're an icon, It means that you will never have another moment of peace the rest of your life. I spent time in Japan with an icon named Ichiro, the baseball player, and I've never seen anything like it. He made the Beatles look like Coca. Everywhere he went, no matter what age he was, forget needing security, it's more than security. It's that everyone believes they know you And everyone wants to talk to you, whether they're three years old or 83 years old. It means they close restaurants for you when you want to eat there. It means they let you in every back door. In Japan, the culture is one of respect and history. And Ichiro had this ability to navigate fame in a way that I hadn't seen any superstar navigate. And I'd been around some superstars, whether it's Barry Bonds or other such people in the United States. But being a superstar and an icon in Japan is a completely different thing. Ichiro is more famous in Japan than LeBron James is anywhere, or Michael Jordan, or I was going to say Montgomery Clift. Why is that name in my head? I have no idea. I'm thinking of Tom Cruise, Angelina Jolie, any movie star, any president, anybody, Ichiro was the number one in Japan. Well, this weekend, history was made at the Masters. Hideki Matsuyama. Get to know that name. Hideki Matsuyama is now a name like Ichiro. I wonder if he'll go by one name, just Hideki, or if he'll just go by Matsuyama. What I do know is that watching him win the Masters, he won by one stroke. Doesn't matter. No one will ever remember that he was minus 10 and won by a stroke. No one will remember anything other than he became the first Japanese player ever to put on the green jacket. During the last nine holes, really, he was up going into the fourth round. So during the last 18 holes, the announcers were talking about the history that could be made. They were discussing the fact that he's going to be so famous that he may be asked to light the Olympic torch for the Tokyo Olympics coming up in the summer of 2021. So famous that he may get endorsements between 600 million and a billion dollars. And I would have said, no way until I spent those years with Ichiro and watched how much money he made by getting endorsements from companies that I didn't know about, had never heard of, who then became sponsors of the Marlins because all we had to do is say, excuse me, Mr. Sato, Ichiro's playing for the Marlins. Ah, I'd like a behind the plate sign and a few giveaways. Here's a few hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars Thank you for your business. I didn't realize what it means and the responsibility that Ichiro had toward his sponsors. Anytime they would go to a game, he would do a meet and greet with them very quick, but a meet and greet before the game, after the game. Anytime we were with him in Japan, he would make appearances for his sponsor. He had signings of equipment for his sponsors. That is the life that Hideki Matsuyama is going to have because he did not blow a four stroke lead in the last 18 holes, the pressure that he must have been under. Japanese people, and this is obviously a very general comment, and I can only do it based on my experience in Japan, forget how proud they are and how respectful and cultured and well-behaved. What strikes me is the way, the aplomb that Ichiro feels and acts with And I noticed that with Hideki Matsuyama during the final round. He didn't feel the pressure of an entire country, an entire region on his back. He didn't feel the pressure, even when he shot the ball into the water on whatever hole it was, 15 or 17 or whatever hole it was when he did one in the water, but he still managed to be okay when Shoffley put one in the water on 16. But none of that matters. He was calm. He... Did not assume he had won until the final stroke was done. He didn't show one bit of emotion. And even when it was done, it was won with respect. His caddy took his hat off and bowed in respect to the 18th hole pin. And today he wakes up not just $2 million richer, which is the purse. He wakes up hundreds of millions of dollars richer. How's it going to work? Well, he's going to have business managers who will be in charge of what he does. Except in Japan, he will take on a greater role in that community, in that country, because it's not a matter of being involved and choosing to be involved. When you are an icon in Japan, you are involved. You take the social responsibility extremely seriously. Ichiro understands his role in Japanese society. He understands that if he's going to be voted as one of the finalists to have his face on currency, that he has to act in a certain way in public and private. He has to show the people of Japan the type of mutual respect that they are giving him. It's not as though there are no bad boys in Japan, but there are no bad boys at that level of icon. Am I speaking in generalities? Can you name one? I guess you could at me at David P. Samson. Tell me if there's a Japanese icon superstar who acts like a petulant child. And I'll tell you that's the exception, not the rule. In the United States, we specialize in petulance. We specialize in people taking advantage of other people when they've got the platform to do it or the money to do it, using that as a lever, using their societal status to somehow believe they are greater than someone else or everyone else. That's not how it works in Japan. And I was struck by the way I was looking at Hideki as he finished his round and that he is the perfect partner to Ichiro in this sort of lexicon of athletic icons. It doesn't matter if he wins another tournament. It doesn't matter if he makes another cut. Just like with Ichiro, it didn't matter that his last year in his career, he was not as effective because he'd gotten older. People recognize Ichiro for what he had done and what he meant to that community and to that country and to that culture, and that's what's going to happen with Hideki Matsuyama. That is a win that transcends golf. It's perfect, by the way, for a Japanese person to win the Masters. I bet the people who used to run the Masters Club back in the day were rolling over in their graves at the thought of a non-white person winning the Masters. Of course, Tiger Woods changed all that. Congratulations, Hideki Matsuyama. You are the new icon in Japan. I know you're going to meet Ichiro because I know you have. Clark Spencer on Twitter put up a picture of Matsuyama when he visited Marlin's camp. And Ichiro did a meet and greet with him and there's a picture of it. And I remember Ichiro didn't know who he was. Uh, He was a, at that time, he was a golfer. He'd won a few things, but he was not who he became yesterday. And Ichiro was always so gracious with his time in a way that I really didn't find American-born players to be as gracious or Latin American-born players, because there's just something about again, the Japanese culture, even if he didn't want to do something, he never once blew off an event. He never once blew off a time. He was on time, if not early, because he viewed other people's time as valuable as he viewed his. So Matsuyama comes to spring training. They say hello. We dressed him up in all of the Marlin stuff, as you can see in that picture. That's all clubhouse issued stuff where, you, where when the players come to spring training, their locker is full of T-shirts and shorts and socks and hats and yada, yada. It was so interesting to watch that interaction and to realize that Ichiro in no way thought that he was speaking to the next Ichiro. And that's what Matsuyama is. Congratulations, you are the winner of the Masters and you are an icon. So I'm watching the... Uh, Sunday night game last night between the Braves and the Phillies thinking to myself I got a pick of the day here I got Smiley going for the Braves the Braves are hot it's a back and forth game I'm thinking to myself that the Braves signed Marcelo Zuna who you know my relationship with you know he had surgery on his shoulder you know that he can't throw very well you know that he should be a designated hitter you know there's no designated hitter in the National League so you know that Ozuna has to play left field and you know when you're playing the Braves you then you're going to try to score on Ozuna when you need a run, even if it's a shallow fly ball, make him make the throw. This is the same Ozuna who did win a gold glove. So he forever is known as a gold Glover. but his defense puts the M in mediocre right now, and his arm puts the P in poor. So he better hit. Short fly ball, tied at six, top of the ninth inning. Of course, Alex Bome is going to try to score, except I called him Alex. I think it's Alec. Alec goes home. Travis Darnot applies the tag out. We're going to the bottom of the ninth tied at six. Wait a minute. He's called safe. Can't be. He's not safe. He didn't look safe. It was a bang, bang play, but we're going to replay. You got to do a replay. They do a replay and New York says out says safe. Excuse me. The play stands says safe. The play stands. Meanwhile, there was convincing evidence based on several angles that Boehm never touched the plate. So the Phillies are up 7-6. The Phillies end up winning, and we lose the pick of the day. And it got me thinking that we had talked about replay and my issues with replay last week, and I needed to bring it up again. And the reason I'm bringing it up again is this. When MLB sits down and figures out the next collective bargain agreement, One of the things that will be discussed is instant replay, how it's applied, when it's applied. When they do a deal with the umpires union, which they just completed, but they're always tweaking, they have to figure out which umpires get assigned to New York, how often they go through New York, because it's a rotation and an umpiring crew rotates into New York, into Secaucus, New Jersey, actually, where there's an entire replay room. That's why you know who the replay umpires are. It's actually a crew. And instead of doing a game on the field, they rotate into to be the replay crew. I said it before, and I'm going to say it one final time, Rob. It is well worth it. Just like the NFL, just like the NBA, to have an extra umpire at each city. That umpire can live in the city and never move. Or better yet, that umpire rotates and you have a traveling crew of five. You bring in an extra umpire, don't you, when there's a doubleheader? Did you know that? When you're the home plate umpire and a doubleheader, you don't umpire the other game. That's a new concession to the union. So if you look at doubleheader umpires, just check it out next time in the box score. The uh, the umpire, the home umplayed, The home plate umpire in the first game does not umpire the second game. And the home plate umpire in the second game is not a base umpire in the first game. You have an extra umpire and replays can be done in every facility. Now, MLB spent a lot of money doing the umpire facility in New York. Yes, they did. And you can keep that open. That's fine. Keep it open. So the umpire who's the eye in the sky at each ballpark can then call New York just to confirm this is what I'm seeing. Here's the angle I'm using. I'm going with this decision. So we don't waste the equipment in New York. How much more equipment needs to be put into a stadium? It's not even worth talking about. It's pennies to put in the angles because they all come from the TV trucks anyway. MLB will make you feel and tell you that the Secaucus, New Jersey, has angles that TV networks don't have. Not true. What Secaucus has is both TV cameras, both TV networks, home and road. It's not like there's an MLB only umpire camera. Has anyone seen that? I didn't see that at Marlins Park. Strike that, Coca. 70, 69. I didn't see that at Lone Depot Park. There's no MLB umpire camera. There's the home feed and the road feed. You can put that in a room And there can be an umpire who has access through a talking piece and an earpiece right to the umpire in the field. Boom, bang, bang, you got yourself a ruling. Umpires make the call in the field. They go to the eye in the sky. The umpire who says, yeah, you got it. No, you didn't. The umpire says, hold on one second. Let me get to New York. New York's on call. New York says, ooh, I see this angle. He didn't get it. Hey, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. Out. Brian Snicker, the manager of... uh the Braves was angry. Players all over the Braves were angry. I said last week, you don't get a call. You get a call. You, it evens out in the end. But if I'm going to lose a pick of the day over the fact that replay is not used properly, that's when I'm putting my finger down. My finger is down. Make the change, baseball. How many more articles? Do you know what drives Bud Sealer crazy? The former commissioner, Rob Manford, the current commissioner, crazy, crazier than anything off the field articles. Anything that's written or any controversy that happens that is not about something on the field and positive. A team playing well, a player playing well. An exciting play, a triple play, a play you've never seen, a pitcher on a streak, a player going for 3,000 hits, any sort of record. That type of press is what they all want. What they can't stand, and you blame them, is anything that distracts people from talking about what's on the field. So let me ask you this. As we enter day – I don't know what day this is. It's April 12th. When did the season start, Coca? I want to say April 1st. So it's been 12 days. What in your mind are the top stories of baseball in 12 days? Just quickly off the top of your head. We're not going to play this game right now. I'm not Aaron Rodgers. I'm not guesting on Jeopardy. You don't have to ask it in the form of a question. But if you think about it during the course of today, after listening to the show, you will find that the lion's share of the stories have been about off the field and incidences or issues with replay or umpires, injuries, it's a shame. I'm sorry, folks, that we lost that. I really am sorry. All right. Other big news of the weekend. This one I wanted to lead the show with until Hideki won the Masters. And then Coke and I realized that you got to lead because that is the biggest story of the weekend. And it's just fascinating as he went to bed after winning the Masters thinking about, wow, my life is different. Well, someone else went to bed last night thinking that his life is different, or is it? I had a bunch of questions about the news of the weekend regarding A-Rod. Go ahead, Coca. You know what I want? (laughs) I wanna talk to Samson. I wanna talk to Samson. We had someone named Steven Strom ask a question. We had a bunch of others ask a question. So I made an amalgam. You know what an amalgam is? When you take 10 things and you put it into one, it's sort of an amalgam. Why did A-Rod buy the T-Wolves? It's the genesis of every question. Alex Rodriguez announced over the weekend that he and a billionaire, and I'm going to get back to why that's funny, have entered into an exclusive negotiating period to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves for $1.5 billion. billion billion bill for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Did anyone else read that and smile? Remember when A-Rod announced that he was part of a SPAC? I think A-Rod announced that recently. I don't know whether this purchase is within that SPAC or outside the SPAC, but that's not the important part of the story. A-Rod has been so desperate to join the business of sports, so desperate to be legitimized as the businessman he's always dreamt of being and never has been. So desperate to be in the room where it happens that he makes Aaron Burr look like someone who's been in every room. So desperate that he did a path to control deal, folks. A path to control deal is a deal where you buy a team at a future date. You make an agreement today and say, we will give you $1.5 billion for your team. You can keep running the team for the next X number of years, in this case, two. After that, we're going to take over. There are a lot of rules in these two years that you're running the team. We'd like to be consulted if you're going to trade away players. We'd like to be consulted, not have the final decision, but at least consulted if you're making any long-term sponsor decisions, long-term TV rights holder decisions, long-term season ticket holder rights and obligations decisions, refund decisions, anything that you are doing to run your business in the next two years, we want to know about it. Because if it's going to do something that would have a negative impact on us inheriting the team two years from now, we want the ability to say, hey, hold on. Because of course, if you give someone a path to control in two years, you could do a 10-year sponsorship deal and say, excuse me, I'd like all the money up front. Now that becomes a contingent liability for the last eight years of a deal. If you do a 10 year deal and get paid it all in the first two years. And then the last eight years, the guy who owns the team has to satisfy the sponsorship elements of the agreement and gets no revenue for it. There'd be a true up after two years where the seller would have to give the buyer a bit of money from that sponsorship agreement, but I digress. A-Rod is not running that Minnesota Timberwolves team. A-Rod does want to be Jeter, which means A-Rod's going to have to move to Minnesota in two years to run the team as owner and CEO. Here's the chance that A-Rod is moving to Minnesota. Can you see it? Are you watching on YouTube at Nothing Personal with David Sampson? Please go to YouTube and just hit subscribe. Even if you don't watch this show and you just listen to it, while you're listening, go to YouTube Go to this nothing personal page and hit subscribe. I am holding my fingers together. You can't shine a flashlight through it. You can't put a pin through it. There is no daylight at all. That means not 1% chance. That means there is a 0% chance that A-Rod is moving to Minnesota full-time to run the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, A-Rod may not have realized when he bought this team that the Minnesota Timberwolves play mostly during the winter. Winters in Minnesota are COL triple d If you looked at Miami and Minnesota on the map they would be opposite. And I love the upper Midwest. I love Wisconsin. You know that, folks. Born there, you know I love it. I love Minnesota. I love people who live in Minnesota. I love counting the lakes when I'm in Minnesota, and I've never gotten to 10,000. What I don't love is the prospect of living there during the winter. I wonder if he thinks j is going to visit him during the winter in Minneapolis. Maybe if she has a concert. But I don't think she's going to be jetting up there for a weekend where you have to stay in tunnels in the middle of downtown. Wait a minute. There's another possibility here, folks. Is it possible that A-Rod is buying the Minnesota Timberwolves to move the Minnesota Timberwolves to an undisclosed city? Could it be Vegas? Could it be Seattle, where he used to play baseball with the Mariners? Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Timberwolves, has said from the beginning, it is very important to me that whoever buys this team will keep the team in Minnesota. That and a dollar gets you a first-class stamp. (laughs) Coca, how much is a first-class stamp? I admit it. I have no idea. I'm going to guess. It used to be 18 cents. I'm going to guess with inflation, a first-class stamp in 2021 is like 55 cents. I always get those stamps that are evergreen stamps where you never know how much they are, and they just work. So that's good. It's not really 55, is it, Coca? No, it must not be. Are you saying, I can't hear you. Are you saying it is 55? Are you saying that I just guessed a first-class stamp on the nose? All right, show over, I'm playing the lottery. Hold on, I'm stopping. Hold, please. Isn't there an online lottery or something I can play? Okay, The, the lottery numbers today will be 5, 21, 26, 69, and 88 let's remember that. So why was I even talking about first class stamps? I have absolutely no idea how to land this plane. Why did that come up? Oh, because A-Rod has a some desire to move the team is my guess. Glenn Taylor said, we're not going to move the team. And I said to you that that's worth about as much as a first class stamp. Do you know how to guarantee that your team doesn't get moved when your current owner sells it to a new owner? There has to be something called a relocation agreement or a non-relocation agreement, which is the type of agreement that we signed, not with Jeter, that we signed with the county of Miami-Dade and the city of Miami. And that agreement, which was signed when the stadium deal was done, stated that the Marlins... We're signing a 38-year lease to play at Marlins Park, 70, 69. The Marlins were signing a 38-year lease to play at Lone Depot Park. There are no scenarios under which the Marlins may relocate. It's right there. Check it out. It's a public document. If we had said to the community, when we came into Miami in 2002. Hey, I know that John Henry didn't succeed. I know Wayne Huizinga didn't succeed. I know that Larry Lakino has said on behalf of MLB that baseball in Miami is not going to work. I know there's no way to get a new ballpark, but I promise you we're going to do everything we can, but this team is not going to move. Don't believe me. If, however, we sign a document, then I don't have to say we're not going to move. Because why would I? I've never actually said in all the interviews anything other than check the document. Of course, the Marlins aren't leaving. Every time something would come up, everyone has such an issue worrying about the Marlins and the fire sales. Oh my God, the Marlins are going to move. And I would say, check the document. C T D. So Glenn Taylor stands up and says, I'm trying to sell the team. I'd like to sell it to Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett doesn't have the money. We're going to find someone who has the money. A-Rod's got the money. No, he doesn't. A-Rod found the billionaire to work with, like Jeter found Sherman. That worked. But where in the document does it say that A-Rod's not going to move the team? Remember, when you buy a team and you have a price on that team, you do internal projections. And your internal projections, while they're kept confidential, are based on what you think the future is of your company. Let's say it's not a sports team. Let's say it's a regular company that manufactures widgets. You say to yourself that your plan over five years is to open four more factories in four more cities to increase your sales fourfold. The payback on the capital expense is a five-year payback. We have depreciation that we can use for this transaction. Therefore, we are valuing this business at $1.5 billion, And we know the owner didn't do any of this. The current owner of the widget company was in one place. Can't even imagine that the manufacturing could be done in five places. When we tell him $1.5 billion, he's going to say yes, but we know the team or the company is worth $2 billion right out of the gate. That's how deals get made. People feel they can do better than the previous owner, so they buy the team at a price that it's not worth and then try to make it happen when it doesn't happen. They either go bankrupt, they either raise more money, or they realize that they made a mistake and they overpaid. Sound familiar, DJ? So A-Rod had a, has a plan. You don't offer $1.5 billion for the Minnesota Timberwolves unless you know exactly what you're going to do with that team to make that team worth that amount of money. A Rod does not buy a team with a two-year path to control in a place that he has no interest in ever relocating. So for all you people in Minnesota who are all excited that A-Rod is always going to be sitting first row with J Lowe, it's NGTH. They may show up during the course of this transaction just to get a standing ovation to feel good. They'll jet in. Mark my words. They'll jet in. They'll meet a few people in the community and jet out. I like the business move. I like the fact that A-Rod, under all scenarios, was in touch with Adam Silver. I like the fact that Adam Silver was able to say he got $1.5 billion for a franchise. I like the fact that Adam Silver can say that to the other owners, let A-Rod in, let him pay 1.5 because we're going to get another fee when he relocates. Because the current deal that the NBA is going to approve will not include a guarantee of relocation. I promise you that. Remember back in the day when someone bought the Seattle Supersonics for all you people up in Seattle, it was a guy named Clay Bennett. I don't know if you remember that. And he said, we are not moving this team. We love it. And we said, wait a minute, Clay Bennett, doesn't he have roots and stuff going on in Oklahoma City? Nah, he wants to be in Seattle. It's it's he's got his own plan. It's an easy flight. What's the big deal? Who doesn't want to be in Seattle? It barely ever rains. And by the way, there's a roof over where the super supersonics play. And by me saying that, it means I can't remember what it's called. I want to say it's called key arena, but now it's a new arena where the Kraken play. I just can't remember what it was called. Guess what happened to the Seattle Supersonics under Clay Bennett? Oh, yeah. They immediately moved. They immediately moved to Oklahoma City. In other words, don't believe anything you read or anything A-Rod says about this purchase of the Timberwolves. And just know that your team is potentially in trouble. When we come back, we're going to review a movie called Weed the People and then we're going to talk about the New York Mets and what happened to them this weekend because it was quite a weekend for the Mets. We will be right back.
1: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. Welcome back to Nothing Personal.
0: You made it through the rain. You kept your senses dry. You made it through the commercials. And you stayed for all the retention. Thank you. This is Nothing Personal. All you got to do is rate, review on Apple. We do an end-of-month mailbag, mailbag bonus pod. That's when you go on Apple, rate us, review We want to catch Levitard in terms of number of reviews. It's not impossible. We just need people to go on and write a review. Write anything. Just say, hey, five stars. He amuses me. Five stars. He's he's an a-hole. Five stars. I am pleased to listen for 45 minutes. Five stars. He actually cares about what we think and answers our questions. And then I'll do that at the end of the month. I'll answer your questions. Or on the So You Want to Talk to Samson, I actually answer them on the show. Thank you for telling your friends about nothing personal. It's working, keep doing it. We watch a movie every day. Every day I write the book. I'm singing Elvis Costello because I just listened to an Elvis Costello concert. Every day, every day, every day I watch a movie. I watched a movie called Weed the People. Do you know why? I'd never heard of it because one of you asked me to watch it. I have an entire list on my phone, which tells me All of the movies and TV shows that you all suggest, I try to get to them when I can. So I watched Weed, the people. I thought it was going to be a stoner movie. I didn't know anything that it was about. I knew it was a documentary. So I'm all prepared. I'm ready to laugh. I got a bowl of Cheetos in my left hand. I've got several napkins. I've got several wet naps because Cheetos, I don't like the orange stuff on my fingers. It makes me crazy. So I do a wipe after every Cheeto ingestion. I've got a bowl of candy, candy corn, spice drops, good and plenty and nonpareils. I've got a water and I've got a black cherry Zevia. I am ready to roll. Weed the people starts. You neglected to mention it's a documentary about pediatric oncology. You neglected to mention that it's a story about medical marijuana and its use in helping kids survive cancer. Needless to say, I used one wet nap, had two Cheetos. I did have the candy, though. I didn't laugh one time. I did cry. Weed the People is an important documentary because the big pharmaceutical companies who would rather people get chemotherapy and take drugs and get addicted to opioids have no interest in knowing anything about the fact that cannabis can actually help with cancer and help with kids. They don't want to hear it. Well, medical marijuana is becoming much, much more acceptable. Back in the day when people wanted to be treated with medical marijuana, they have to risk getting arrested by crossing state lines, all because they wanted to save a child's life and big pharma didn't. Am I screwing up the chances of Big Pharma sponsoring us, Coca? I love you, Big Pharma. Would I sell out for sponsorship money? (laughs) You're goddamn right I would. Just don't become addicted to it. Take it as prescribed. Watch weed the people and realize that you're not alone if you've got a child who's sick. You're not alone if you're sick. There are opportunities to try things that may be a little different, that may be not socially accepted, that may be beyond the social mores. But guess what? What exactly do you have to lose? It's a story about people and parents who would do anything for their child. And believe me, parents will do anything for a sick child, even when they can't do anything. They will try to find something to do. Weed the people is worth it to watch because you will have an opportunity to learn something about the benefit of cannabis, the benefit of medical marijuana. This is not about getting stoned to watch Cheech and Chong. This is about having an actual medical reason to take marijuana and it actually working. Forget recreational. Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is when there's a chance to get better, you take it. Weed the people. Thank you for that suggestion. So I realized fewer than seven minutes into Weed the People that this was not going to be the type of movie that I thought it was, but I was going to keep watching because you suggested it, so I wanted to do it. Seven minutes seems like a very long time when it's a movie you don't like, even though I really like this one. Seven minutes seems like a really long time when you're trying to be inside a closet in heaven. Coca, do you know that reference? Is there any chance you used to play seven minutes in heaven? where you'd go into a closet when you were kids as part of a game? Anybody? Is anybody with me on this? I can't believe it. I wonder if seven minutes in heaven has to do with any biblical reference about the seven days and creation. I think the world may have been created in eight days, though. Or was it six days? Oh, my God. I need some help. Coca. Coca is now gone from the show. He's disappeared. Hello. Coca, it's only Monday. All right. What are you upset about? This is what happens. He goes radio silence and then yells at me in 10 minutes. Seven minutes is how long the Mets and Marlins played yesterday, seven minutes before their game was suspended. The weather in New York yesterday was rainy with more rain. It's called a radar. Everyone's got them on their phone. Remember my great weather app in 2000 and whatever? When the Marlins had a rain delay at their home opener with a roof. Yeah, that wasn't ideal, was it? Weather apps are way better these days. It doesn't take a weatherman. It doesn't take a genius. Louis Rojas, the Mets manager, said, we have an exclusive forecast expert. He said it was going to be a lighter rain or a mist-like rain. A forecast expert? That reminds me of a funny story that I just thought of, Coca when we had a rain delay in the 2003 World Series, it was game number three of the World Series. Josh Beckett was pitching and there was a rain delay. Bud Selig, I go to see Buddy sitting behind the plate and I say, hey, uh, the rain's coming. We're going to have a delay here. And he went crazy. He said, get me your forecast expert on the phone. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, I want to speak to your forecast expert. I want to know how long it's going to last right now. Tell me now. I said, bud, we don't have a forecast expert. W- what does that even mean? We have a grounds crew guy who calls some other guy at some weather station who goes to the top of the weather station, sticks his hand up with an umbrella and says, did I get struck by lightning? Well, apparently the Mets have a forecast expert. I wonder if he's also the same as the stock picking expert who works for the hedge fund that Steve Cohn runs. Because I think you can be a forecast expert and a stock picking expert all at once. It's only an extra three months of school. If you looked at the radar on New York, it was pretty simple. You were not getting the game in. But instead, the Marlins were forced to make a roster move because the Mets told them we're playing. They optioned out Lewis Brinson, thereby using his final option. Which means next year, if he doesn't make the team, he has to be put through waivers. Lewis Brinson, the guy they traded for for Yelich who's never made it, may make it, hasn't made it. Can't bring him back now for 10 days unless there's an injury. Marcus Stroman was pitching for the Mets. He had to get warmed up and pitch the top of the first for seven minutes. Gave up a hit on an unsafe field, and he was pissed. He said this game should not have started. Not smart at all. Those conditions put everyone at risk. He was beyond happy that no players on either side were injured. Hate that I have to wait another five days to pitch again. That's a miserable feeling. Here's how we did it with rain delays. We totally manipulated the rain delays just like the Mets did to make the other team have to make roster moves or have to burn their pitcher, have to get them ready and warmed up even if we knew that there was going to be a rain delay of 20 minutes and then the game would start again. In Florida, the deal with rain, it's not like the Northeast. It rains a lot for a short period of time, and then the game starts. So we were all about trying to get other teams to burn their pitchers where we would not burn our pitcher. Many times we'd say to Jack or to any of the managers, hey, start somebody you have no interest. Get a bullpen guy out there to start. He never would do that. I never understood why. Because there's going to be a rain delay in a half hour, and we don't know how long it's going to last. The Mets knew exactly this game was going to be played, no matter what their forecast experts said, because everyone can look at that same forecast and realize the game was going to be suspended. Why are the Mets in charge? Here's the rule. The home team gets to decide what time the game starts. So I would spend time with the umpires before the game saying, hey, we're looking at 710. We're looking at 730. We're looking at 810. Hang in there. Have another, have a bite to eat. Have a sandwich. I miss you, Dennis Farina. For midnight Run, have a sandwich. But guess what happens once the lineup cards are exchanged and the first pitch happens? Then the umpires are in charge. And the umpires get to say, rain delay, bring out the turf, the tarp. The umpires get to say, this game is suspended. Now, there used to be a rule that if you didn't play four and a half innings, the game was not an official game, and you started over. Those rules changed. The Mets game is suspended in the top of the first, with the man on first having hit a first, having hit a single, the game will be replayed as a nine inning game on August 31st, followed by the regularly scheduled game, which will then be seven innings. Do you get it? A scheduled double header is seven innings on both sides. A makeup game as part of a double header is a full nine innings for the game that was played or should have been played on April 11th. And then seven innings for the second game that's played that day. Does that make sense to you? Not to me either. But what if the game were suspended in the eighth inning and then played as part of a doubleheader and double doubleheaders are only seventh inning? Does that mean who's ever winning then wins? So you had to make the rule that way. So the Mets made this decision and the Marlins were rightly upset about it as they should have been. Except anyone who's with the Marlins knows that you're going to do anything you can to gain any small modicum of advantage but I do wonder why Don Mattingly and the Marlins made that roster move because they know better. There was no reason to bring up, I think his name was Castellano. There was just no reason to do it. So that's how it all works. That's why there's a situation going on with the Mets. They really did not have a very good weekend. I want to talk about what else happened this weekend that really bothered me. Uh, Jacob DeGrom lost to the Marlins and that was one of the nothing personal pick of the days just so you know. Remember we did a Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday. The Friday was that the Indians would beat the Tigers and they did. That's a win. Saturday is what I told you happened earlier in the show which was a loss. Saturday was DeGrom beating the Mets, beating the Marlins, he didn't. That's a loss. Yesterday was the Phillies beating the Braves. That's a loss. We're now 47 and 30. Jacob DeGrom must hate playing for the Mets. He loves his extension. There's no doubt about that. He loves his salary. And publicly, DeGrom has been saying, listen, I can only do my job. I'm responsible for what I'm responsible for. If my team only scores one run, my job is to throw a shutout. If my team doesn't score, my job is to throw a shutout and hope that the bullpen score an extra innings. If my team scores five runs, my job is to make sure that the other team only scores four. That's what Jacob DeGrom says publicly. Privately, pitchers get so angry when they get no offensive run support. They talk to the manager. They talk to the offensive hitting coach. They talk to the players because wins matter. Now, you all of you analytics people out there may say, what do wins matter? You don't need a win. Jacob DeGrom has no wins. He's the bullpen's blowing 32 starts, but he's still got two Cy Youngs. He still got paid a ton of money. Jacob DeGrom wants 300 wins, never going to get it. Wants 200 wins. He's got a chance. But the Mets bullpen continues to blow leads for him, and the Mets offense doesn't score for him. What is amazing to me is how long this will go on, because it's not about Steve Cohen or Fred Wilpon or Jeff Wilpon. This is not an ownership issue. The baseball people, of which Sandy Alderson claims to be one, his job is to build a bullpen to protect leads. His job is to build an offense that can score. Michael Conforto can't hit. The team is just struggling. Very frustrating for DeGrom and for the Mets. They have had a very choppy start to their season. They've played five games in eleven days. There have been rainouts. There have been COVID issues with the against the Nationals. Their best chance to compete in the National League East is to get into a rhythm, and they are not in a rhythm. I want to do a wait to see about Jacob DeGrom because I thought it was going to happen this week on Saturday, which is why we took DeGrom over the Marlins because the Marlins offense is terrible. So I knew the Marlins wouldn't score. They scored one run on a jazz chisholm bomb of a home run, but I didn't realize the Mets wouldn't be able to score. So here's my wait to see because I've had enough. The Mets will score five or more runs in DeGrom's next start because... This was the inflection point for DeGrom and the Mets. This is the moment when it will be necessary for the offense to do something to support its ace, and it will happen in DeGrom's next start. That is a great way to see, Coca. In terms of pick of the day, we're down to 47 and 30. We got a big game today. Have you been watching the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East? They lost yesterday in 10 innings to the Yankees. Gave up four runs with that crazy extra inning rule, which I love and couldn't score in the bottom of the 10th. But Tampa is a team in a division where the Orioles are playing okay. The Red Sox are playing okay. The Blue Jays are playing okay. The Rays are playing okay. And the Yankees are playing okay. We have the Yankees winning that division and going to the World Series. But Tampa is no slouch. Tyler Glasnow is going today. And I want every single member of the Pittsburgh Pirate fan nation to watch this game and realize that Glasnow is going to beat the Texas Rangers and their anemic offense. That is our show. God, that went so fast, Coca. We got to go more. We should change this to like 46 minutes. And just remember, if we do that,
1: it's business. It's nothing personal.